years ago when I was teaching at Arlington, a student of mine wore a T-shirt that was similar to this. That says, Jesus never tapped out. Uh, I don't know, Kendall, you remember? I think it was in, in pastoral ministries class. Do you remember? Okay. I think his shirt, though, said, Jesus don't tap out. Uh, I think that's what the shirt said. Now, at that time, not being a devotee of MMA fighting, I had to ask, you know, what exactly does that mean? Uh, I've never really watched an MMA match, but if you're aware of it, you know that uh, it's mixed martial arts, uh, and, you know, of course, the purpose is defeat, uh, and then hopefully that you'll get some kind of hold upon them uh, where they'll tap. And when they tap, they're basically saying they've submitted. They've submitted. The fight's over. It's done. They've submitted. They've tapped out. And while graphic art theology, what I call it, graphic art theology uh, can be catchy and can be cute, it's usually shallow, usually incomplete, and often misleading. You see, the truth is, as we'll show from our text today, the truth is you and I have been called and commanded by God to live lives that are characterized by tapping out. While the shirt says Jesus never tapped out, and again, we're not going to get into that, uh, like I said, that can be misleading, it can be not tell the full story. You and I have been called as people who live our lives that we tap out all the time. And, and we see it in our text where the first phrase there is, be subject for the Lord's sake, or it may be in your translation and other translations, uh, submit yourselves on account of the Lord. When, when you look at that, we, we find several things just by looking at the word that's translated, be subject or submit yourself. First of all, it's a command. It's not an option that, that Peter is giving us here. It's not an option that the Lord is giving us. It's a command. As you look at its structure in the Greek text, you also find that this phrase, submit yourselves or be subject, is the governing phrase. Of, all, of the verses we read today, this is the governing phrase. Every, if you were to outline uh, this sentence, uh, this passage in, in, in the text, you would find that this is the, it's the governing phrase. Not only is it the governing phrase, it's the main verb. It's the main verb for verses 2.13 through, chap, not just 2.13, 2.13 through chapter 3 and verse 7. All the way down into chapter 3 and verse 7, the, main, the, the, the governing phrase and the main verb is this phrase right here, be subject or submit yourselves. And, and we find here, when we look at this in two, chapter 2 verse 18, chapter 3 and verse 1, chapter 3 and verse 7, we find participles that assume the main verb. Submit yourselves to your master. L let me show you. Look at, look at verse 18. Uh, you, you, would translate it, you could translate it this way. It, you would start off by this way. Submit yourselves on account of the Lord, slaves, by submitting to your master. You drop down to verse 1, and this is how you would translate it. You could translate it this way. In the same way. In the same way. Submit yourselves on account of the Lord, wives, by submitting to your own husbands. It's the same way in chapter 3 and, and, and verse 7, where you would translate it this way, because this is the ruling phrase, it's the main phrase, it's the main verb. Submit yourselves, on a, or sorry, in the same way, likewise, in the same way, submit yourselves on account of the Lord, husbands, by treating or living with your wives with understanding and showing Honor. By the way, in that, in, in that uh, verse 7 where it says that we are to show them honor, that's the same word that's used back in verse 17 that we just read, where, it, where we're told to uh, 
in our text this morning in chapter 2 and verse 17 where it says, Honor everyone, honor the emperor. It's the same word that's used there to speak of husbands, how they are to honor their wives. Now, I want you to hold what I just said and put it on the back burner of your thinking. I want you to hold it there for a moment because it's going to help us to see what this, thing, what this text is all about here. And, and so let's kind of let's review for a moment, kind of think through where we've been to see how this all fits together. We, we found out over the last course of several weeks and even, even the month or so that as believers, we are primarily citizens of God's kingdom. That's our primary citizenship is God's kingdom. We're primarily citizens of God's kingdom who live as resident aliens and visiting strangers in the kingdoms of this world. That's my identity. That's your identity as a believer. My identity is, is I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, who, that's my primary citizenship, who have been, I've placed on this earth, and I live as a resident alien and visiting strangers in whatever country, whatever place I live in. We've also found that God commands us to engage the cultures of this world. We are to engage him as we've looked at the text, and he uses the words as and, 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 and that we looked at in the previous verses, that, that basically we, we engage our culture with respect as a guest in their house. That's the word picture. That we engage our culture not with finger pointing. We do not engage our culture by withdrawing from it and just letting them go to hell. We engage our culture by treating them and by respecting them just as you would if you were a guest in their house because that's exactly what we are. We are guests in their house. But we are guests, not only that, but we refuse to privately embrace the all, all this we saw in, in the previous verses there, uh, verses 9 uh, nine through the uh, through verse twelve, that basically that we, uh, we 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 refuse to privately embrace the values and practices that are corrupting in the culture. We refuse to embrace the values and practices that are corrupting the culture, while simultaneously maintaining the good values of society that are consistent with Christian values. That's what the idea of good works is, that, that, that in the sense that every culture has good things about it. Every culture has things about it that honor God. And so we are to embrace those things that are consistent with Christian values. At the same time, we are to uh, avoid, we are to abstain from, uh, to, to, we're not to privately embrace the values that go against what Scripture clearly teaches. And we also found out last week that we do this for God's glory. We do this for God's glory. Uh, Again, if you look at verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We engage the culture because we are to do so for God's glory and by, and by doing good in God-honoring relationships. And those God-honoring relationships are unpacked in these next verses. It's unpacked beginning there in uh, chapter 2 and verse 13, and it goes down to chapter 3 and verse 7. So, these relationships are, deal with social, it deals with familial, it deals with ecclesial or relationships within church, it deals with political it deals with spiritual. 
we engage our culture that they can see our good deeds. They can see the ways that we engage with people. And as we engage with our family, as we engage with uh, 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 society, as we engage with uh, the political process, as we engage with God, as we engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ, they see those good deeds and they give glory to God on the day of visitation. We'll talk about more about that. We talked about that last week, but we'll, we'll mention again later on. So I, I want you now to think about what we just, what we just looked at earlier. When we talked about be subject for the Lord. And how all these things, as it relates to uh, politically, as it relates to relationally, as it relates to masters and servants, as, as, that, that this idea, that this, this, the, the main sentence, the main, the main verb, the driving sentence, the primary, primary phrase of this whole section is, be subject unto the Lord. So bring that back. Think about what we just said, and here's what's going on in these, these next several verses that we'll be looking at over the course of the next several weeks. Our, teaches, our, our text is teaching that a general characteristic of engaging others for the glory of God is by means of submission. Tapping out. Tapping out. Not just submitting to God, but submitting to other people. I'll say this now, I'll say it again. I don't like it. <laughs> I'd rather be the alpha dog. I don't want to submit. I, I'll submit to God, but people? <laughs> and here's what even more difficult as we look at our text this morning. In chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, that submission is to pagan authority. It's not even Christian who we are being commanded to submit to are people who are not, not only are they not believers, they are people who hold what we believe as, and, 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 and they despise what we, they, what we believe. They're against what we believe. And yet Peter says that we are to submit to pagan authority. And, and here, here's, here's, a, here's a key point of, 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 of these five verses, is that loyalty to Christ does not equal a license for rebellion against the pagan authority of the state. Loyalty to Christ does not equal a license for rebellion against the pagan authority of the state. In other words, I can't say this. Because I'm a citizen of heaven, then to the countries. You know, nanny nanny boo boo. Because I'm a citizen of heaven... I don't have to. Now, there's a lot of nuances there. And, and, and Peter explains what these nuances are in our text. We don't have to guess. Peter explains all the, but what about, you know, the, the BWAs? But what about this? Or but what about that? You know, what about this situation? Peter's going to explain that. Because as we look at this, he's going to help us to understand this truth by informing us regarding the scope of that submission in verses 13 and 14. How far? How far do I have to take this, God? How far? far do I have to submit to pagan authorities? Where can I draw the line? How far do I go? In verse 15, he talks about the sway of submission. How come? How come God has asked us to do this? And we're going to find out that one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers who are seeking to try to engage our culture is to submit. Now, that, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? We don't think of submission as being powerful, do we? 
Submission is, a, is an act of weakness. Submission is an act of, 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 of stepping back. And that's how our world sees it. But God uses this to display His power, to display His glory. And then finally, the strangeness of submission in verses 16 through 17. How to? Basically, Peter kind of gives us a YouTube... Uh, I love YouTube how-to videos, you know. I, 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 if they can put it on the YouTube and show me. I, most of the time, I can do it. Most of the time, I can do it. And verses 16 and 17 is kind of like a how-to video. So, so the first question is, as we think about this, is how far, how far does this go as we look at the scope of submission? Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Look at our text. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That phrase, to every human institution, is, 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 is right, right underneath there as far as be subject. It, it's, a, it's a phrase that helps define. It's a phrase that helps us to understand the scope. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Also that phrase, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Those are the two phrases. The two phrases that help us give the scope of our submission. For the Lord's sake, or on account of the Lord. And uh, he talks about there that we are to do that to every human institution. Again, in the Greek text, the word is this. Submit yourself to every human katise. Kati- I'm sorry, katise. Katise. K-T-I-S-E-I. Katise. Now... The word is translated, at least in the ESV and other translations, it's translated institution, which is certainly a reasonable understanding of this difficult word. It's a difficult word. It's not found very often in the New Testament, Uh, especially when you take it into context. He's talking about emperors. He's talking about governors. Those are governmental institutions, so to speak. So so you can understand it that way. But the word, that's not how the word was normally used uh, in, in, in that time and in that place and in that culture. It was usually best understood as created being. Making the translation something like this. Submit yourself to every human being. Man, that even makes it worse, doesn't it? <laughs> Submit yourself to every human being. So, th- there's profit for us in understanding the word both in its broad and its narrow sense. So, to whom are we to submit? Well, broadly, so if this word has the idea that we are to submit to every human being, what's going on here? I think, I, think, I think you can understand it that way, and in understanding it that way, there is a general principle here. There's a general principle here that bears out in Scripture. Broadly, we are called to give up striving for power and authority over other human beings. That's the principle. Broadly, we are called to give up striving for power and authority over human... What did Jesus say? You that would be greatest would be what? Servant of all. That's not the alpha dog position, is it? If you want to be great, you serve. And and as, uh, as Dennis shared with us this morning, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Not to be served. And instead, we are to pursue the good of others. And when we do that, by, by, if we demonstrate submission, basically what we are evidencing to other people is being spirit-filled. 
Ephesians 5, 21. It begins in verses 15 through 21 when he tells us that we need to walk wisely and he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And then there's four participles that are used that describe how, how, do, how, how can I know that I'm being filled with the Spirit? Well, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. What do I talk about with other believers? Singing and making melody in my heart. Do I, do I praise and... I mean, when, when, when Jubal leads us in our time of... When, when we are worshiping God through song, I mean, am I just going through the motions? Or am I really... Am I praying? Because when I'm, I'm not only singing to, to God, I'm singing to you. These are truths that I hold to. These are truths that, that are precious to me. And, and I want to encourage you with these truths. And also giving thanks. Am I a grateful person? Am I grateful to God for what He's doing in my life? Am I grateful to others for how God has used them in my life? And then the last thing is submitting to one another. And of course, then verse 22 begins with, Wives, submit yourself unto your husbands, as unto the Lord. And he begins to talk about children. He, begins, he, he has this family law code that Paul talks about. And submission to other people, and I know in that context, it's not unbelievable, it's, it, it's dealing with believers there. But within that context, basically one of the ways that I demonstrate that I'm walking, I'm filled by the Spirit, is by my willingness and how often I submit to other people. To other people. So that's the broad idea. And, and I, think we can, I think we can use that. I, I, think, I think Peter's probably being more narrow in the context here. But certainly this word, as is, is, is they're reading this and as they're listening to this, they're going to understand it as well in the broad concept of being subject to, being submitting to every human being. And I think there's that principle. God has called us to serve, not to be served. God has called us to submit, not to rule. God's called us to do that, but, but contextually, as we look at it narrowly, basically the idea is here is we submit to political authority, even if that authority is pagan. Look at what he says again. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, and let me give you some examples, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. There is no democratic rule here. No emperor got elected those governors did not get elected. They were sent by the emperor. We're not talking about the 1970s, uh, 1980s, when you have uh, 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 the moral majority and you have all these believers that are taking office. These are pagans. In fact, the emperor demands to be worshipped. And if you fail to call him Lord, if you call Jesus Lord instead of him Lord, there's a price to pay. And yet, Peter says here, we are to submit, we are to submit to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or by the governors as sent by him. Now, why? Why in the world, God, would you tell us to do that? Peter explains. They're sent by the governor, the governors are sent by the emperor to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, to bring order. To bring order. Because even pagan authority images God. Even pagan authority images God by providing some type of order. And order is always preferable to chaos. Anarchy. Even if the government is bad, at least there's order. 
at least there's at least there's order because if there's not order there's chaos and there's anarchy and we all better get our AK-47s and get as much ammo as we need because who knows might come into your house tonight. So there's a reason for it. Even bad government images God providing order. You say, "My goodness." My I, I mean, gosh, I mean, really we got to do this? But again, we told you there's two phrases that explain the scope here. The scope of our submission is also described by the phrase, on account of or for the sake of the Lord. Be subject for the sake of the Lord. In other words, Christ, not Caesar, is Lord, so therefore we submit. Why do I submit to the government? Because of Christ. You see... Political authority is derived, according to the scriptures, it's derived and not inherent. Not inherent. It's derived and not inherent. And therefore, our submission is limited to the confines of scripture since Jesus is Lord. I am to submit as long as they don't ask me to go against what scriptures teach. If I'm asked to go against what scripture teaches, then Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who gives authority. Jesus, uh, the president's authority is not inherent authority. Now, he deri- in our country, he derives that authority from the Constitution of the United States, but there's an even greater authority above him, and that's God. God lifts up, God puts down. God grants authority, God takes away authority. And so, who my again, because I'm a primary, primarily a citizen of heaven, and because Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord... My scope of submission is limited by the fact that I am free to disobey when being asked to violate the Scriptures. I'm free to disobey when asked to violate the Scriptures. Other than that, I submit. That's why we've got to be really careful what we think is scriptural and what's not scriptural. Well, this is scriptural. Maybe. Maybe not. Now, we know how far Peter next addresses how come. How come? And this is the sway of submission. Look at verse 15, where he says, For this is the will of God. Peter leaves no doubt. If you gave this phrase a a wooden translation to be read this way, because thus it is God's will. I said so. (laughs) You know, remember, Daddy, why do I have to do this? Because I said so, you know. Now, sometimes that's a bad answer, but sometimes that's a good answer because kids need to learn obedience. They need to learn to be, to be obedient to their, to, their, to their parents, to be the parent who goes in authority over them. And basically he says, because it is thus God's will, we submit to pagan authority because God wants us to. God wants us to. Again, verse 15, for this is the will of God. And he goes on, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The demonstration of that submission is evidenced by doing good. Now again, what does that mean? Well, this, is, this has been something that God has talked about from 
all, all the way back when the, when the Israelites were, were taken, even before then, but when the Israelites were, were taken to captivity in Babylon. We won't take the time to read it, but you can look at it later in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. And Jeremiah is telling, okay, you're, you're, going, you're in Babylon. You're, uh, uh, Babylon has destroyed us. We're in captivity to them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get married. I want you to build houses. I want you to have kids. I want your kids to have kids. And then in verse 7 he says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. Because in their welfare, you will experience welfare. He says, I want you to do, I want you to, to, to do good there. And this means more than just being law-abiding citizens. It requires involvement. It requires involvement. What does God want? I mean, why does God want us to get involved? Well, again, look at the text. This is why He wants us to get involved. That by doing good, here's the reason, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish. We get involved in our culture. We get involved in our communities so that we can silence the slanderous charge of fools. And fools is described in the Bible as people who do not know God or His ways. It goes back to verse 12, what we talked about earlier, when he says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When we looked at the day of visitation, there's two possibilities. He's either talking about as, as we engage people, as we engage our communities, as we engage culture, and as we do good, as, we, as we're decent human beings. We're decent human beings. And as we engage them, either it will lead them to Christ and it'll silence their criticism, or if they die in their sins, when they stand before God in judgment, they're going to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord and that what they viewed in believers was indeed the way people should live and respond. It'll silence them. That's the power. That's the power of submission. It, silence, it silences the critics. Maybe not at this moment, but eventually it will. And when it silences them for this moment, it enables them possibly to come to Christ as well. When we submit to pagan authority in obedience to God, and do good towards them, our submission is powerful. The mouths of those who ignorantly charge God and His people are swayed into silence. Swayed into silence. Submission is powerful. But let's be honest. That goes against the grain, doesn't it? goes against the grain. I'd much rather be like Peter. Get my sword and start a chopping. Takes, you know, be, be, a, be, a, be a better swordsman than he was and get, get the head rather than the ear. Lop it off. You know. It goes against the grain. None of us like, I mean, we, we, even though we are believers, even though we've trusted Christ, because of our sinful human nature, it, I would rather be served than to serve. I would rather be in charge than submit. And, and, and so Peter, what he does here is, is he, he wants us to tap out. And, and, and who wants to tap out to pagans? I mean, who wants to tap out to pagans? 
Who wants to submit to a culture? Who wants to submit to the emperor and to the governors that he has sent? Now, again, we've got to deal with this passage. We can't just wave the flag and, 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 and pretend it doesn't exist. We've got to deal with this passage. If we're going to walk in obedience to Christ, if we're going to be made conformable into His image, we've got to deal with this passage and deal with it correctly. And so Peter says, we've got to do this. This is what we're commanded to do. And do it by faith because even though you think, again, the world thinks submission is weak, the world thinks submission is is that of cowards, the world thinks submission is done by those who are not willing to stand up and fight. But Peter is saying when we do it in the confines that he has set, when we go as far as he says, as long as it's in the bounds of Scripture, as long as they don't ask us to go outside those bounds of Scripture, we submit, and when we do so, and they see that we are how we respond and what we do and how we act and how we treat uh, each other, how we treat our wives, how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, how, we, how, we, how we walk in our, uh, our life with God, how we talk about the political system, when we do all of that, that submission that is viewed by the world as weakness is actually Verses 16 and 17, as I already said, is kind of Peter's version of a YouTube how-to. The strangeness of submission. The kind of impact that Peter is referencing is only found by living our lives in God's joyful flavor. Did you get that? The kind of impact that Peter is referencing is only found by living our lives in God's Joyful slavery. That's the strangeness of it. The strangeness is, is we've been set free from the bondage of sin for enslavement to God. We get set free in order to be enslaved again. Look, look at the text. Look at verse 16. Live as people. And again, all this, again, is under that main verb. So we can read Be subject on account of the Lord. And live is not, live, the word live is not exactly, it's, it's not in the Greek text, but the word live there is assumed as you look at the words, how they're put together. Uh, and, and so this idea of living it out. But be subject for the Lord's sake as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as, the word here, the, the English version, because of American slavery and, and, and the, the, the horribleness of this, a lot of English versions, that word should be translated slave. It's doulos. Doulos, a bondservant, a slave. We are to live as slaves of God. So we've been set free. We're to live as free people, and we're not to use our, our, our freedom as a license to sin. In other words, because I'm a citizen of the kingdom, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to do what you say because my citizenship is in heaven. I'm a child of the king. My, my Lord is Jesus Christ. It's not Caesar. And Paul says, you can't use that. You cannot use that as a cloak for sin. You cannot, you cannot say, well, because I'm a believer and my tax money is going to fund abortions and my tax money is going to do this and my tax money is going to do that, therefore, I'll quit paying my taxes. Can't do that. You can't do that. 
I mean, I don't like paying taxes anyways. But they're necessary in order for the government to actually do what's intended to do according to God. We have to do that. But, but we can't do that. We cannot use our freedom as a cloak for sin. And the freedom that he's talking about here is freedom from the bondage of sin. Again, remember who Paul is addressing here. He's addressing a group of believers who probably are Jewish, primarily Jewish believers who lived in Rome and because of the persecution were forcibly removed from their homes, from their businesses, from their livelihood, from being able to meet one another as a church. They've been transported to, to, to modern-day Turkey, to Asia Minor. They have been scattered so they no longer can meet together like they used to meet together. They've got to start all over. They've got to find a place to live. They've got to start, uh, they, they've got to start making a living again. And Peter says, you cannot use your freedom as a cloak for, for sin. He says, but rather, he says, living as slaves of God. And that's the strangeness of submission. I've been set free so I can be a slave. <laughs> I've been set free from what used to have dominion over me. Sin. Romans 6. I've been set free from the power of sin in order that I can enslave myself to God. I haven't been set free from the power of sin. Christ didn't set me free to make me autonomous. Christ didn't set me free so that now I can do whatever I want to do. Christ set me free so that I no longer, I no longer have to choose sin. I can choose to walk by the power of the Spirit and follow Christ. But I do so by enslaving myself. I enslave myself to God. And enslaving ourselves to God allows us to live well by living submissively in every aspect of life. If I am not enslaving myself to God... I will not live well in every aspect of my life, whether it's socially, ecclesiastically, spiritually, and politically. And you say, how do you know that? Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. What's all the four of those things have in common? You submit. <laughs> you submit. This little verse... It's a fascinating verse. There's all kinds. There's an inclusio. I mean, just simple Bible observation. What's the first word of verse 17? Honor. And what's he say at the last, the last group? There's four groups there. You have everyone, brotherhood, God, and emperor. He says the first thing is honor, and the last thing is what? Honor. There's an inclusio. There's, a, there's two chiasms here. You have the sense where you have the honor and the honor based on that. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor, honor the emperor. But there's also another kind of chiasm here. When you, and, 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 well, uh, that other one there, you have everyone would include both saved and who? Lost. The brotherhood is people who are what? Saved. God is perfect, righteous. The emperor that is Peter's writing this time is probably Nero. He's what? <laughs> if you say he's saved, you need to say your history, okay? He's lost. So you've got dealing with people 
outside of faith, and then you've got dealing with God and people inside of faith. You've got another construction here in the sense that you've got tensions. You've got social tensions here. How do I relate to people, everybody, believers and non-believers, and how do I relate to the brotherhood? How do I relate to brothers and sisters in Christ? And there's that tension there. There's a tension with how I treat people outside of the faith, how I treat people inside of the faith. But then you have a tension of authority. God is the ultimate authority, and the emperor was the ultimate worldly authority. And so you've got a tension of authority there as well. You've got God and, and, and you've got the emperor, and both of them, are, are how they view authority is different from, from both of them. And so you have this, this, this beautiful verse here, but yet it explains to us when we enslave ourselves to God how we live our lives well. We show respect to everybody, whether they're LBGQT, WXYZ, or whatever. We, we, we show respect. Show respect. We don't agree with what they do. We want to call them to repentance. But we treat them with respect. We honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. We love the brotherhood. We treat each other with love. We do acts of love, which is acts of submission towards one another. We fear God. And we honor the emperor. Our first and primary loyalty is to Christ. Loyalty to Christ does not equate to rebellion towards pagan authority. It doesn't. And the scope of our submission is broad. It's broad in the sense that we are to submit. Our attitude should be one of submitting to all people. We're here to serve and not to be served. But in the context, we are to submit to even pagan authority. But it's also confined. It's as to the Lord, it's according to the Lord. We don't go outside of the bonds of Scripture. We are free, rather, as, 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 as Peter and John said, we ought to obey God rather than men. There's times we have to say that. There's times we may have to draw that line in the sand. And, 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 and so that is limited there, so it, it's limited as well. But it also has the potential of being a powerful tool in the hand of God as we joyfully enslave ourselves to God since we have been set free from the bondage of sin. So, let's probe. Let's get into each other's business by asking some questions. Where specifically am I involved in my community? Where specifically? Am I involved in my community? And this has implications as it relates to church involvement as well. You see, as it, in my opinion, churches can so have a calendar so filled that people don't have time to get involved in their community. I got this on Monday night. I got this on Tuesday night. I got this on Wednesday night. I got this on Thursday night. I got this on Friday night. Saturday's free, and then I got this on Sunday. And, and, and people don't have time. Do we need to meet together? We certainly do. Do we need to be involved in things? We certainly do. But God has also commanded us to engage our culture, 
to engage our culture. So what's, where specifically am I involved in my community? In what concrete ways is my love demonstrated to my brothers and sisters in this church? What, what are some concrete ways? I mean, serving today, bringing food today, giving today, listening to somebody, encouraging somebody. All those are different ways, concrete ways, that we can demonstrate our love to one another. What was my experience of fear and awe for God this week? You know, we, we water down the fear of God. When, when I look at Scripture and how I understand the fear of God, it's more than a reverence. How many, when you were growing up, didn't do something because you know if you did and you got caught, you're going you're to get it? So we didn't do it. That's part of the fear of God. I mean, we really don't fear. I mean, we, if I sin, God forgives me. He's gracious. But God is a jealous God with no idols before him. And when I sin, I'm choosing idols over God. So, so what was my experience this week of, of the fear of God? Where I thought, oh, man. If I do this, if I go here, I continue in this direction. I'm just pleasing God. And I'll face the consequences. Or are all for God. Where we are just in all of Him. Of His goodness and His great and His might and His power. And how did I respond to... Again, we're just dealing with the categories here. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. How did I respond to pagan authority this week? Did you pray for the president this week? I'm not talking about imprecatory psalms either. Lord, dash his head against a stone. That's an imprecatory psalm. For the vice president, they come to know Christ. That God would work in and through them to bring righteous laws through Congress that a Supreme Court would be wise in the decisions that they make. That's our responsibility. We're, we're to honor them. We're to honor them. We honor them by praying for them. I don't care what per- political persuasion the president might be and whether or not I agree with that political persuasion. If he walks through the door, I'm going to say, it's good to have you today, Mr. President. It's good to have you today. Madam Vice President, it's good to have you today. We honor them. We honor them. What about my words? How did I talk about those who have authority over me? How did I honor, did I honor the emperor this week with my words? Now, that doesn't mean we can't disagree. And that, that doesn't mean that we can't say, you know what, I just don't get what they're doing here, or I get what they're doing here, and I'm really concerned. It doesn't mean we can't, we can't have a dialogue about it. But when that dialogue goes down to, what an idiot, what a fool, what a bum. Are we using, are our words being seasoned with grace? I don't know about you, but this is tough for me. I I mean, I don't like this message. (laughs) I don't like these truths. But if I want to be able to have the kind of life that impacts 
then I do it through submission. I do it through submission. Because that's exactly how our Savior lived. We live in a time when light and darkness can be very clearly seen. It can either be a time that causes fear in our heart, or it can be a time of excitement when we say, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to be able to demonstrate the difference between light and darkness. To be able to demonstrate what it's like to live as Christians in the culture and the time in which we live. To demonstrate the truths that are found in this passage of Scripture. It's not easy. It's difficult. But it's not an option for us. Be subject. It's a command. It's an imperative. Be subject. Be submissive. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. every human institution. May God help us to live this truth out. And may God help us as believers to practice this and live it in such a way that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, it begins by submitting. You recognize that, I mean, and that's how the Christian life begins. It begins by submitting. I, I recognize that there's nothing that I can do to merit God's favor. As, as Jubal led us in the last song that we sang, I, I can't boast in my strength. I can't boast in my might. I can't boast in my riches. What I boast in is the cross, the greatest display of submission and power at the same time. At the same moment, it's the greatest display of submission And as we submit ourselves to God, God, I, I, I know that there's nothing that I can do can merit your favor. I believe who you said you are, you are. And by coming to Him in repentance and faith, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can do that today. If you've never done that, we'd encourage you to do that talk to us after the service and we'd love to talk to you more about it so that you understand what's taking place. For those of us who are believers, may God help us this week to truly, truly have a heart and an attitude of obedience that we might submit ourselves, submit ourselves to every human institution. As we said for our call to worship, we gather this morning asking for the grace engage our world through submission. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Pray your blessings upon the work of the Spirit in our lives at this moment. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. I don't know your need this morning. I don't know your heart. Does submission characterize your heart? submission a characteristic of your life.
the areas we demonstrate that submission is how we respond to pagan authority. It's an indication of just how much we're being controlled by the Spirit of God. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But yet when we submit to God in doing it, God uses that submission in powerful ways. Powerful ways. We're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence. And after that, we'll close out our service today.